Thursday, August 15th, 2023. I'd like to welcome everyone joining us. Today's meeting is being held in a hybrid format. Members of the public can participate and provide comments both in person at City Hall and remotely through WebEx. Thank you to the staff and guests who will also be participating in today's meeting. Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you, Mr. Vice Chair. The first order of business is item one, roll call. Commission members, please respond when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Present. Commissioner Drew. Present. Commissioner Scott. Present. Vice Chair Ladam. Present. Chair Brackett is absent. Commissioner Brackett is absent and all other members of the commission are present. Mr. Vice Chair, we have a quorum. The next order of business is item two, announcements. The next regular meeting is scheduled on Tuesday, September 5th, 2023 at 1 p.m. B, announcement of prohibition of sound producing electronic devices during the meeting. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any person responsible for the ringing of use of cell phone, pager, or other similar sound producing electronic device. C, announcement of public comment procedures. Please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comment on each agenda item unless the commission adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide their comments. It is strongly recommended that members of the public who wish to address the commission fill out a speaker card and submit the completed card to the commission secretary. Members of the public who are joining remotely will be instructed to follow the updated instruction. Please dial 1-415-655-0000, excuse me, 655-0001. When prompted, please enter access code 2662-485-1232. Press pound, then press pound again to enter the call. When prompted, press star three to submit your request to speak. When you dial star three, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear it, your line has been immediate. This is your opportunity to provide your public comment. You will have three minutes. Please speak clearly and slowly. You will be placed back on mute once you are done speaking. You can stay on the line to continue listening or you can also choose to hang up. If you are planning to provide a public comment on any item, Today on the agenda, it is recommended that you call the public comment line ahead of time to allow you to listen to the meeting live and to prevent you from experiencing delay caused by watching online. Today's meeting material are available on our website at sfocii.org under commission, then the public meetings tab. The next order of business is item three, report on actions taken at a previous closed session meeting, if any. There are no reportable actions. The next order of business is item four, matters of unfinished business. There are no matters of unfinished business. The next order of business is item five, matters of new business consisting of consent and regular agenda. First, the consent agenda. There are no consent agenda items. Next, the regular agenda. Agendas, agenda item numbers 5A through 5C related to Transbay Block 2 will be presented together but acted on separately. 5A, authorizing the commitment to, 
authorizing the commitment of permanent gap loan fund in amount of approximately $61,961,845 to Transbay 2 Family LP, a California limited partnership for the development of 184 affordable rental housing unit, including two managers unit at Transbay Block 2 East and providing notice that this action is within the scope of the Transbay Terminal Caltrain Downtown Extension Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program EIR, and is adequately described therein for purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act, Transbay Redevelopment Project Area Discussion and Action, Resolution Number 24-2023, 5B, authorizing a first amendment to the pre-development loan agreement with Transbay 2 Family LP California Limited Partnership to increase the loan amount of $4,500,000 for a total aggregate loan amount of $8,000,000 for the development of 184 rental housing units, including two manager units, a child care facility space, a retail space at Transbay Block 2 East, and providing notice that this action is within the scope of the Transbay Terminal Caltrain Downtown Extension Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program EIR, and is adequately described therein for purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act. Transbay Redevelopment Project Area Discussion and Action Resolution Number 25-2023, and 5C authorizing a horizontal ground lease with Transbay 2 Family LLC, a California limited liability company, to facilitate and and fund in an amount not to exceed two million three hundred thirty-three thousand. Excuse me. Six hundred fifty-three. I'm sorry. Five C authorizing a horizontal ground lease with Transbay Two Family LLC, a California limited liability company, to facilitate and fund in an amount not to exceed two million three hundred thirty-three. $1,653 site work on Transbay Block 2 to prepare for the construction of 335 affordable rental units in two projects. One at Transbay Block 2 East for 184 rental housing units and one at Transbay Block 2 West for 151 affordable rental housing units. And providing notices that this action is within the scope of the Transbay Terminal Caltrain Downtown Extension Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program. Hey, John. Hey, uh, I'm having trouble. I'm sorry. I'll read 5C again. Authorizing a horizontal ground lease with Transbay 2 Family LLC, a California limited liability company, to facilitate and fund in an amount not to exceed $2,333,653 site work on Transbay Block 2 to prepare for the construction of 335 affordable rental units in two projects, one at Transbay Block 2 East for 184 affordable rental housing units and one at Transbay Block 2 West for 151 affordable rental housing units. And providing notice that this action is within the scope of the Transbay Terminal Caltrain Downtown Extension Redevelopment Project Final Environmental Impact Statement, Environmental Impact Report, a program EIR and is adequately described therein for purposes of purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act. Transbay Redevelopment Project Area Discussion and Action Resolution Number 26-2023. Director Koslowski. Thank you, Secretary Wynn. 
members of the public, commissioners. The approvals for this project today are a critical step in a series of actions to facilitate the development of affordable housing on Trans Bay Block 2. Over the past several years, the commission has provided approvals for this project, namely the selection of the current development team in 2021, and most recently, the schematic designs in November 2022. The actions before you today will continue that progress with the goal that Block 2 East will secure funding and will be able to begin construction soon in early 2024. Kim Opsfield from the housing team will make today's presentation. Kim. Great, thank you. Good afternoon, members of the commission. I'm Kim Obstfeld, Senior Development Specialist on the housing team at OCII. Uh, the actions before you today are the commitment of approximately $62 million in permanent residential gap loan funding for Transbay Block 2 East, approval of a first amendment to the pre-development loan agreement with the Block 2 East sponsor to increase the loan amount by $4.5 million and incorporate certain other modified provisions, and authorization of a short-term horizontal ground lease with funding of approximately $2.3 million for Block 2 site preparation. A brief background on the Transbay Redevelopment Project area. Uh, the Transbay Redevelopment Plan was approved in 2005 with the intent of alleviating the blight caused by freeway demolition following the Loma Prieta earthquake and creating a new mixed-use, mixed-income downtown neighborhood. The project area is split into two zones. Zone one is administered and implemented by OCII. Zone two is under planning department jurisdiction. Overall, OCII is obligated to provide 35% affordability in the project area. To date, in zone one, OCII has overseen the completion of over 2,000 residential units, among which over 700 are affordable. Block two is one of just a few remaining development sites in zone one. It will be 100% affordable housing and the site is critical to meeting the overall project area affordability requirement. OCII sought a development team for block through through a competitive request for proposals in 2020. In April 2021, the commission approved an exclusive negotiations agreement as well as pre-development loan agreements for the two west and two east projects. Last fall, the Commission approved the schematic designs and took related entitlement actions for both two East and West. In April this year, the Commission approved a gap financing commitment and pre-development loan amendment for the two West project. That gap commitment was in preparation for a key financing application submittal in May. Also in May, the two East sponsors submitted an application to the state for affordable housing and sustainable communities, or OSIC funds, and the results are expected by August 30th. Earlier this month, the Citywide Affordable Housing Loan Committee approved financing for Block 2 East. Uh, before we go into today's actions, a brief reminder of the design of the building from the schematic design approval last fall. Uh, this slide shows the Block 2 buildings in the context of the surrounding neighborhood. 2 East is shown in yellow and 2 West in orange. Uh, the green rectangle is the planned public park on Block 3. Uh, buildings with the lighter blue labels are residential and those with the darker blue labels are commercial or mixed use. This image is a bird's eye view of the Block 2 site from the north looking south toward Folsom Street. Uh, the Block 2, or excuse me, the Block 3 park and the planned extension of Clementina section are in the foreground. Uh, the 2 West building is to the right and 2 East on the left. 
And looking more closely at the ground floor of 2 East, the image on the left shows the townhome style stoop frontages along Clementina Street. And the image on the right shows retail spaces at the entrance to the mid-block uh, public pedestrian muse looking from Folsom Street toward Clementina. The overall Block 2 site will be developed with two distinct and individually financed owned and operated buildings, which we have been referring to as 2 East and 2 West. Uh, that said, the, de the design and construction has been and will continue to be highly coordinated between the two buildings with key design scopes working on both buildings and selection of a single general contractor. The 2 East project is sponsored by Mercy Housing California and will serve low-income families with a portion of units set aside for families experiencing homelessness. Mercy will be the, the property manager and provide resident services. Uh, they're partnering with Episcopal Community Services who will provide supportive services for families who've experienced homelessness. The 2 West project will serve low-income seniors and seniors experiencing homelessness. Chinatown Community Development Center, or CCDC, is the sponsor. In addition, in addition to developing the 2 East project, Mercy is leading overall site coordination. Block 2 East will provide 184 affordable rental units, including two manager's units. Rents will be restricted for affordability for households earning 40% to 80% of the area median income, or AMI. Units serving formerly homeless households will be supported through the city's local operating subsidy program. Units range in size from studios to three bedrooms. The building includes a child care facility that will be operated by Wu Yi and is intended to serve approximately 45 children from infancy to age five. In addition, the project includes two ground floor retail spaces and will provide secure class one bicycle parking. There's no vehicular parking on the site. OCII financing for, for 2 East is proposed in three tranches, an approximately $62 million permanent residential gap loan, an approximately $8.6 million permanent commercial loan, and funding of approximately $2.3 million to prepare the site for development, which will benefit both the 2 East and West projects. The combined amount is consistent with the amount allocated for the project in OCII's Recognized Obligation Payment Schedule, or ROPS, for the 23-24 fiscal year. This structure is proposed as a means of optimizing the residential project to compete for limited financing. In recent years, bond allocations through the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, or SIDLAC, have been oversubscribed, with the demand for funding exceeding available bond amounts. Because of this, SIDLAC has introduced a competitive scoring process, which has proved to be uh, challenging for San Francisco projects. The scoring criteria generally disadvantages higher cost urban infill projects. To compete for this source, OCII and the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community, Devo Community Development have increasingly had to look at creative ways to structure our funding. Generally, we're looking at ways to pull costs out of the residential tax credit project. This, along with deep affordability targeting, improves the likelihood of an award by reducing the residential cost per unit and reducing the overall amount of the requested bond allocation. The commission may recall that you recently saw a similar approach for the Block 5254 project at the shipyard and most recently on Block West. Um, I'm happy to report back on 2 West that that uh, approach seems to have been a success. The project is recommended by staff uh, for an award after its first application. Uh, the hearing will be held on August 23rd. Uh, until there's significant changes to the overall availability of tax-exempt bonds, staff does anticipate we'll need to continue to consider these types of modified loan structures in order to succeed in securing SIDLAC allocations. 
The residential project cost for Block 2 East is estimated at approximately $187 million. Along with the OCII gap loan, financing sources include federal low-income housing tax credits paired with tax-exempt bonds and a $28 million loan from the OSIC program. In preparation for the SIDLAC application due on September 6th, the sponsor is seeking commitment from OCII to provide the residential gap loan for the project. This is intended to demonstrate that local funds have been secured for competitive scoring purposes. Your approval will allow the executive director to provide a commitment letter for inclusion in the sponsor's application package. The sponsor will return to commission to seek approval of a loan agreement for the permanent residential loan, as well as authorization for the commercial loan in spring 2024, following SIDLAC announcement of bond awards for this funding around in December. In addition to the gap loan commitment, the sponsor is seeking an amendment to the pre-development loan agreement. The amendment would increase the funding amount by $4.5 million, bringing the total loan to $8 million. The added funds would be used to fund early design work from key construction subcontract scopes. Engaging these trades early for design-build contracts is intended to avoid pricing surprises at final contract bidding and improve efficiency and accuracy during the design and permitting period. Added funds will also be used to pay city permit fees and fund other professional services contracts. The amendment would also extend the maturity date for three months and incorporate a provision to allow for further extensions at the discretion of the executive director to allow sufficient time to reapply for a SIDLAC allocation in two subsequent rounds if the September application is unsuccessful. It also incorporates updated loan conditions and a revised schedule of performance. The final approval requested by the sponsor is authorization of a horizontal ground lease. The Block 2 site, along with Blocks 3 and 4, and the sites for the extensions of Clementina and Tahama Streets, was used by TJPA as a temporary Transbay terminal until 2019. Improvements from the temporary terminal remain on the site today. These include a one-story building that uh, formerly housed the Greyhound terminal, shade canopies, paving, landscaping, and utilities. The horizontal ground lease would give Mercy site control and reimburse its costs in an amount of up to approximately $2.3 million to remove those improvements. Once surface level improvements are removed, the team will conduct archeological trenching and identify and remove as needed below grade support piles and footings uh, believed to be still on the site from the former Embarcadero Freeway. Lastly, the team will remove and relocate utility lines. The horizontal ground lease will terminate on the sites of the two east and two west projects on the effective date of OCII's long-term residential ground lease for each of the projects. For approximately the last two years, East Cut Landing Partners, or ECLP, has activated the entirety of the former temporary terminal site, including Block 2, with interim uses, including food and beverage concessions, soccer, outdoor fitness, pickleball, and special events. Interim activation uses will cease on the Block 2 site as of the horizontal ground lease effective date to allow site pre preparation work on Block 2 to proceed. The lease area will include the Block 2 parcel as well as an additional 12-foot area on the planned Clementina parcel to facilitate the horizontal work. OCII Development Services staff is in regular communication with ECLP and will work with them to facilitate relocation of the impacted uses with the intent of preserving as much of the existing program as possible. 
Uh, this diagram might be a little bit hard to read, but the diagram illustrates uh, the full temporary terminal site between Folsom Street and Howard Street. Uh, the background shows ECLP, uh, the ECLP interim use activities layout. The portion of the site with the blue border uh, is the horizontal ground lease area. The area with the blue grid overlay is the block two site, and the adjacent area in pink is the 12 feet beyond the parcel line. As illustrated here, the soccer fields, dog run, and outdoor fitness area will be impacted and need to be relocated, as will uses that occurred within the former Greyhound building. Throughout pre-development, the sponsors worked with OCII's compliance team to address OCII goals for professional services. To date, approximately 87% of contract values have been awarded to SBEs or SBE joint ventures. The joint venture of Swinnerton and Rubicon has been selected as general contractor for both the two east and west projects. The sponsor and general contractor are committed to working with OCII through the remaining bid process to award contracts to SBE firms whenever feasible. Swinnerton, Rubicon, and their sub subcontractors will use their best efforts to meet local hiring goals during construction. With your approval today, and if OSIC funds are awarded later this month, the sponsor will submit a SIDLAC TCAC application in September, and awards will be announced in December. If financing is secured, the sponsor will return to commission to seek approval of an amended and restated loan agreement for the residential gap loan, along with a long-term ground lease, as well as approvals for a commercial loan agreement and commercial ground lease in the spring. The horizontal ground lease will go into effect on September 22nd with demolition to begin shortly thereafter to ensure that site pre preparation work is complete in time for the senior project to start construction in early 2024. Under this financing schedule, the two east project would start construction in May 2024 with construction completion estimated in 2026. Uh, thank you very much for your consideration. That concludes the staff presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have, and I'm joined by uh, representatives from Mercy Housing, including Ramey Dare and Michael Kaplan here today in person. And joining us online, we have project manager Sean Wills and commercial manager Julia Katz, as well as other representatives from Mercy, and a couple of members from the CCDC uh, senior project teamers here, here as well. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, Madam Secretary Lucinda, could you open the lines up for public comment, please? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide a public comment on this item should call 1-415-655-0001, enter access code 2662-485-1232, followed by the pound sign, then press pound again to enter the call. Please press star then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when it is your turn. If you are already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide a comment. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone who joined in person to provide public comment on this item. Mr. Oscar James. Good afternoon, commissioners, and all who are present, and those online. Um, first, I, I would like to first say I really like this particular project. I've been scamming through it. 
but I want to make sure certificate holders, both from Western Edition, Hunters Point, uh, and any other areas that the redevelopment agency has developed have priority in getting those, uh, some of those units. But I also want to uh, ask uh, you, while I was thinking back there, we have a lot of persons coming home who has been incarcerated that have certificates. And I, I like for this agency to uh, contact the probation office and letting them know when they come home, those with certificates have a priority to get some of these housing. We have a lot of males and females coming home whose lives has been changed, but they come, come here and don't have a place to stay or opportunity to get uh, you know, jobs and different things like that because they don't have a address and what have you. So I would like for you guys to look out for those, those persons who's, who's been incarcerated coming back home and want to do better for themselves. So thank you very much. There are no other person like to speak in person. If you like to um, speak to us by phone, please press star three. If you'd like to provide a comment. No person on the phone wishing to comment. Okay. Hearing no further um, <clears throat> requests to speak on this matter, on public comment, I'll close public comment and turn to my fellow commissioners for any comments or questions. Uh, I would appreciate if staff could address Mr. James's questions. Um, what is the preference given to COP holders? Um, and uh, do we have specific policies against or related to the previously uh, incarcerated individuals? Thank you, Commissioner Ludlam. Uh, Pam Sims, Senior Development Specialist in the Housing Division. And um, of course, as in all of our affordable housing developments, um, COP holders will get the first preference. And now, um, descendants of displaced families are also um, in the preference uh, population. As for previously incarcerated, that's not currently a preference, um, but I have taken note of um, Mr. James's concerns and I will um, be discussing with MoCD to see if there's any way to um, uh, see if they uh, qualify for any other preferences um, and if there's some discussion that can go on. So uh, a COP holder uh, who has been incarcerated would have first preference uh, without any disqualification. Correct. Thank you. And, and if I may, uh, through the chair, uh, Pam, there is no other higher preference than a certificate of preference holder. So a, a certificate of preference holder that was not formally incarcerated or one that has been incarcerated have equal preference right at the top. Thank you. Pardon me. Thank you. Is there a way that we could have that notice just like we take information to the churches? Would there be a notice for facilities so that 
it's something that's understood because I do know there is a place uh, for certain offenses that you can't use that certificate of preference for housing. But um, if there is a way that we could allow um, the facilities to know what the policies are beforehand so that there's no false hope. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Scott. Now, what uh, are we talking about? Um, what kind of facilities, like treatment centers or? Uh, I would say address them all. Treatment centers, mm -hmm. um, incarceration, jails, prison. Just let them know exactly what the possibilities are so that there's no fossil. They'll know where to start and where to end that search and where else to go because there are other programs that the city has for ex-offenders in housing. And uh, George Davis is uh, one of the um, organizations that helps with housing and jobs. Right. Yeah, yeah I'll, I will, and thank you for that. I'll, I'll make note of that in my discussions with MoCD. Great. Thank you, thank you. If I may, through the chair, um, also I think you'll have seen in Ms. Obsfeld's presentation a affirmative marketing period for certificate of preference holders, which is an advanced marketing time frame ahead of the development that's being uh, constructed to give advanced time for, for outreach to certificate of preference holders. And through that process, um, there are different outreach organizations, CBOs in the community, who are certified to do for housing counseling and outreach. And so there's a vast uh, sort of communication, if you will, of the opportunity for housing, in particular, Transbay Block 2. Um, and then releasing has sort of a separate process, but I just wanted to make note that for this project in particular, there will be the, again, affirmative marketing for certificate of preference holders. And uh, like Pam indicated, that they would make sure that the communication goes far and wide. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'd just like to say that this is a wonderful project, um, all for housing. Um, just a couple questions and maybe I might have missed it from the renderings and in here. Um, I'm just curious of surprising fees, like is that something that's always reserved? Um, how much is allocated for that and when you say these surprising fees, is there a budget or a, and or a limit? Yes, so, um, so there Sorry if I misspoke earlier. They're not a surprise. They're, okay. we're just, um, they're always a part of the project budget. Here, here we're just requesting that they be moved from uh, the sort of permanent larger tranche of residential funding uh, to be funded during the pre-development period. So those, fund, those fees are estimated approximately $1 million, and those are city fees that are uh, typical to all of our construction projects. It's just here with... Um, the complexity of the site and the challenging infill location, and it is a mid-rise building, which is um, not always usual for us. We'd love to, to kind of pay that early. It's, it's due upon the issuance of the first addendum, which is the, um, the rough grade and foundation permit. Uh, and paying that early will allow us to get deeper into the permitting process prior to closing on construction financing and formally starting on the vertical construction. Okay, great, thank you for that. And and this is for everyone, I guess. Um, but um, I also want to throw out there when you're for these homes, uh, besides those um, for the incarcerated, I was also thinking 
I haven't heard it, and maybe again, it didn't do my complete reading here, um, to make sure there's um, enough space for our transitional youth, uh, those that are coming from group homes, foster care, because the moment they turn 18, they're on their own. And so having services in a, just like our, maybe it may be different from those that are incarcerated, but maybe um, bring them together, gap them together, or create some other services for those that need it, especially when you're on your own, it's not easy. So I really would like that to take place or be included. Okay. Um, and folks also from other districts in San Francisco that have been also misplaced, families from the Excelsior District, the, you know, the Mission, and all the rest of the city, um, besides you know, the Bayview, Hunters Point, uh, Fillmore Community, and so on. So um, I think um, they all need to be looked at. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And so just to confirm, so 40 of the units um, are set aside for formerly homeless households, and uh, those tenants will be referred to the site by uh, the city's Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing through the Coordinated Entry Program. And um, right now they're targeting those units for families, um, oftentimes adults with a child, um, but those could include um, parenting tay where um, you have an adult resident with a child who would be a good fit for this project. Um, they're not generally targeted for single transitional aged youth, but they would be, they would potentially be eligible and we'll continue to work on that with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then just confirming the second priority following COP holders is uh, those eligible for displaced tenant housing preference. Displaced so, tenants. Yeah. Thank you. So I guess I had um, two small comments. Um, I understand there's going to be about 96 bicycle parking in these, both of these developments, um, but there's also going to be zero car parking. Um, being that there's also going to be an elderly population that typically uses vans for transportation, mobility, um, what is designed into this project to support that? Because I know technically right now in that area, there is no on-street parking, there's no on-street stopping of vehicles, et cetera. I can, I can preliminarily answer and then let uh, staff from Mercy kind of jump in, but that's correct. There's no um, residential parking on the site. Um, we sort of knew that going in because of the challenges of construction and the cost of construction and the constraints of the site. Um, but we, the site is extremely well served. I would say among all of our project areas, it is the best served by public transit. And as part of the OSIC grant that the project has applied for, uh, residents would receive um, free vouchers for public transit, so they would have full access, unlimited access to public transit. Uh, resident services staff would be on, on deck to help them navigate that system and kind of get used to, to working through it. Um, and then, of course, we'd provide the bicycle parking, but I can allow Mercy to sort of jump in and talk about strategies that they've used on other buildings where resident parking is extremely limited or non-existent. I'm specifically also concerned about like the ADA for the elderly um, who typically need to um, have support or someone else take them. Um, yeah, thank you, commissioners. <clears throat> I'm Michael Kaplan with Mercy Housing. Um, I guess I would start off first with that when we are doing our marketing and outreach, 
we'll, we need to be very clear, we will be very clear that there is no parking on site, um, that it is really, as you said, really hard to street park in that neighborhood and the garages that are around there are, are expensive. So I think first and foremost, we just, it'll be very clear for those, because it is, you know, at the end of the day, people can decide if they want to live there or not. We need to be very clear that there is no parking. But for those that live there, as Kim said, first is just access to public transit. It is a great neighborhood for transit and we'll be providing these free transit passes. We also have resident services on site. So for the things that you're mentioning, like for those if they have a disability, we can, our resident services can help connect um, residents to paratransit or other existing programs that MTA provides. Um, I think the other thing too is that we want to also bring services on site. So one thing that we do at a lot of our properties is to have a food bank that comes uh, once or twice a week to provide uh, food access. We know especially in this community, their access to affordable groceries is, uh, is hard to find. Uh, so that's another key component. Um, and I think too, just being clear with our resident services team, what other available options are out there, such as car share or, or bike share. Um, you know, I do see lots of families biking around their kids to school every day, so having that bike parking is really helpful too. So I think just being clear that we have no parking, having the resident services on site to help connect those who need uh, additional services, that's really what our team is there for to, to help with those gaps. Through, through the chair, if I might, Michael, could you address drop-off, any plans for loading zones and those kinds of things on Clementina or otherwise? Yes, thank you. Um, I don't know if we have that site plan up here, but actually we have loading on all three sides of, of, the, of the property. On the Clementina side is pick up and drop off for the childcare. Uh, on Folsom is uh, a white zone pick up drop off for residents. And then on Main Street is a um, commercial loading zone. So there's actually on all of, and I believe that's the same on, the, uh, on Transbay 2 West as well, Block 2 West. Okay. So there is a lot of loading areas there as well as a lot of investment in bike infrastructure. Uh, part of the funding that we requested for ASIC, there comes a uh, capital uh, piece for transit too, that's going to the Howard Street uh, bike lane improvements that are hopefully happening soon. Thank you, that was very helpful. I know that sometimes it's challenging for elderly people to get to their doctor's appointments, so just making sure that there's ample pickup zone space for when they do need to get picked up to go to doctor's appointments and stuff like that, that we're not constricting the site so that there's not enough space for that. Um, also, um, I did have a quick question about um, the application process. I know some of the other commissioners um, brought up in terms of like um, previous um, convictions on certain records that would um, prevent someone from being able to lease the property and so would like to get a little bit more clarity about that. I know we spoke in general um, regarding what would be restrictions. I know that there are some federal restrictions in terms of um, certain types of offenses that would make them ineligible to live at this um, location. So I think right. would like so to get a little bit more information on that. So as part of the marketing plan, uh, the team will submit a tenant selection plan that will clearly articulate um, any anticipated background or credit checks and clearly articulate um, which findings would make the tenant in ineligible. And generally for a family project, those are very limited, but there are disqualifying factors where um, certain offenses that would um, make 
an individual potentially uh, incompatible for, or you know, maybe not the right applicant for for living with a building with lots of small children. So I can ask Mercy to articulate a little bit further what their typical policy is in terms of which types of offenses are, are sort of screen out offenses, but overall uh, citywide policy is to try to screen tenants in and to the extent that offenses are identified in a criminal background check, it's uh, so that the resident services staff can better support that tenant in achieving housing stability, uh, but there are a couple of disqualifying factors, so uh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Mercy, do you want to jump in on that? Thanks, Kim. Yeah, I mean, just pretty much what Kim said, uh, there are a few types of like violent crime, felons, and, and sex offenders. I don't have the exact list, but I mean, there are a few things that do screen out um, potential applicants. But as Kim said, for the most part, it's we're trying to get people housed and in. So it's a, a screen in rather than a screen out. Um, and that's our part of our services team there, again, is to help uh, get people housed and then keep them uh, staying housed, making sure they can uh, get their rent in on time and work through any lease violations. So uh, really just trying to accommodate and make sure people can uh, get housed and stay housed. Um, I guess I'd like to get a little bit for more information on what would, what are some of those disqualifiers in terms of like the violent crime? Is it violent crime in terms that we're looking at? murder, rape, or are we looking at um, battery also constitutes part of that crime, et cetera? I can so being able yeah, to Yeah, you want to jump that. in, Pam? Thank you, Chair Brackett. Um, what we do um, when we are reviewing the marketing and tenant selection plan is assure compliance with the fair chance ordinance and um, which includes um, police code, I think it's 49. And um, the bottom line is the, the offenses that are most troubling to property management is um, arson and um, uh, pedophiles, especially if it's a family building. Um, and I can get you, and um, the others like robbery. I mean, there's certain offenses that there's um, like years. If it's been 10 years and it's only been a misdemeanor, that's not a prohibitive um, crime. So, but there's, there's a list um, and I don't have it memorized, uh, but what I can do is I can prepare an info memo for the commission. So you have that. Yes, um, I don't want to keep asking more questions about this because I know it's super specific, but I think it's something that we should discuss as um, commissioners and probably with Director Koslovsky because I know this has been an, something that's come up over the years several times around um, some people being denied or approved that may have mm -hmm. similar, and so just getting a hold of that and how we can um, make it more available for everyone else. Um, my last question is around um, also the application process in terms of credit. Um, I know um, that's been a big issue um, in some of our previous lease properties um, that the um, restrictions around credit score or credit rating was very um, high. And so I was wondering if um, MOHCD had done anything to upgrade or change that in the last couple of years to make it a little bit more easier for people to get into housing, even if they have maybe a phone bill or something there. They're not um, denied until they need to pay that before 
or they lose within a 10-day period of rest, they lose the opportunity to be placed. So, Yeah. Um, actually, since I've been working with MoCD on um, the marketing plans, it did start out um, where um, individuals needed to earn um, two and a half times the rent. Now it's two. So they've improved that. Um, also, um, we have prohibited um, in 100% affordable housing um, buildings uh, the use of credit scores, credit ratings. Um, so, and that is, as Kim was saying, we we start from a point of being inclusive. We want you living in our building. Um, so actually in the last couple of um, marketing reports, I, I don't believe you've seen any credit denials. Um, it's, it has to be pretty extreme. Um, so I think we're making a lot of progress on, on that piece. Well, I just want to thank you and all of our nonprofit um, organizations for all the hard work that you guys have been doing and trying to, you know, upgrade and make it more available to people. I know it makes warms my heart to know that there's been a lot of progress on that because I know that was, we yeah. got a lot of mm -hmm. sob stories about that a lot. in the past. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, do any of my... Yes. Thank you, uh, Chair. Pam or anyone, Kim or Michael, um, can you help me with understanding, is there information that goes to organizations, and I know that there are a list of places that help with that first and last month rent, but we get a lot of people saying, I don't know where to go, I, I have the place, I've been approved, and I don't know where to get the help for this. Um, Thank you, Commissioner. <clears throat> when um, individuals apply for affordable housing, um, what they're told on the Dahlia website is work with the housing counselor. In our buildings specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what we do is we have the nonprofits work with the um, uh, housing counseling agency who's um, part of a panel that works with MoCD and they enter into an MOU, they do outreach, they do uh, workshops, um, and this is specifically for COP holders. Um, and um, what they do is um, they address um, any like money matters, credit matters, kinds of issues, but they also help with the application process. Um, and any questions people have about um, the building, um, timing, workshops, they can, their housing counselor can answer all those questions. Okay. And is there a list, though, of the agencies yes. that do help that mm -hmm. can go out to organizations that we could send to churches, that we could send to uh, others that support these agencies, like YCD and um, I, I, sure. I, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, we just haven't had that because unless there's a specific opportunity, uh, uh, the housing counselor doesn't really get in. They're not tapped. So I guess we could do that as a preliminary outreach, um, but 
we, we would have to work on that. Like what organizations, how would we choose them? Uh, would there be buildings available? Would there be units available? Yeah, there'd be um, different types, types of considerations we'd have to look at. I see. Thank you, Pat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have one more. Commissioner Aquino. Thank you. I have one more question um, regarding what our chair mentioned earlier about the parking. How, how about those that don't, uh, to help those um, that have a family provide uh, shuttles to take their little ones to school, like a pickup and drop-off zones, which I know you said there'll be drop-off zones and stuff, but a place for the school buses to pick them up so the parents wouldn't have to drive across the city if they go to a private school or or a public school. I don't know, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, just thinking about how to help with those that, where to find parking. <laughs> Maybe I can just chime in real quickly. Sure. Um, when it comes to public schools, um, the school site has to request a yellow school bus for pickup at that site. So it's done only on an as-needed basis, um, and it depends on how many children they're picking up or even if they have a route in that area because the school district is very limited in funds. Um, the only way they can get around that is if it's a SPED student, then they have to do a pickup. Mm -hmm. But if it's not a SPED student, this district does not provide transportation, which is why they'll have to rely on the local public transit. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Seeing no further comments from commissioners, um, do we have a motion on item 5A? Madam Chair, I move that we would approve uh, 5A. I second. Madam Secretary, please call roll. Commission members, please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino? Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Scott? Yes. Vice Chair Ludlam? Yes. Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion passes. Um, do we have a motion for 5C, 5B? Madam Chair, I move that we authorize a First Amendment to the pre-development loan agreement with Transbay uh, Two Family LP Resolution number 25-2023. All second. Thank you. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the roll. Commission members, please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino? Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Scott? Yes. Vice Chair Ludlam? Yes. Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. The motion passes. Do we have a... <laughs> a motion for 5C. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Madam Chair, I move that we authorize a horizontal ground lease with Transbay 2 Family LLC, a California limited liability company, to facilitate and fund an, an amount not to exceed 2,333,653, resolution number 26, 2023. I second. 
Madam Secretary, please call the roll. Commission members, please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino? Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Scott? Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam? Aye. Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. And that motion also passes. Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? The next order of business is item six, public comment on non-agenda items. Madam Chair. Could you please call for public comment? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2662-458-1232. Followed by the pound sign, then press pound again to enter the call. Please press star then three to be placed in the queue. An automated voice will let you know when, you're, when it is your turn. If you are already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide a comment. We'd like to begin inviting anyone who joined in person to provide, to provide a public comment on this item. We have one, Oscar James. Thank you, Commissioners. Oscar James again. You know, I always want to get up here and praise you guys for doing such a wonderful job for the city and for the communities. Um, we really appreciate you. I call myself representing Baby Hunters Point. Uh, as been a native from that area, but I really appreciate what you guys are doing, uh, dedicating your time to serve this city, which is something badly needed. And I just hope we have more community folks coming to these commissioner meetings because it's very important that we make sure that the young people in our, in our community, in our cities, be able to function and be a part of the city like we have been. Uh, with the blessings that this city has given to us. So just thank you all and keep up the good work. Oh, one other thing. I, I, uh, OCII came out to uh, Dr. Davis. I did a, a history of Bayview Hunters Point going back to the days in the 50s and what have you and how the uh, community has benefited in the latter years because of the redevelopment agency. Uh, it goes to how successful our community was with black businesses and minority businesses in the community in the 50s and what have you. But some of the things that uh, the agency is helping us to do today to bring out some of those minority businesses in our community. So thank you guys for, you know, watching out for the community, making sure we have successful new businesses in our community. Thank you. Okay, we'd like to now invite anyone on the phone who would like to speak to please press star three. Madam Chair, at this time there are no more members of the public on the phone wishing to speak. Hearing no further requests to speak on um, public comment non-agenda items, um, we will close public comment. And Madam Secretary, can you please call for the next item? The next order of business is item seven, report of the chair, Madam Chair. I will reserve my report for the next meeting. Please call the next item. The next order of business is item eight, report of the executive director, Director Keslovsky. Thank you, Secretary Wynn, um, members of the public, members of the commission. Um, I have two items I want to update you on. Forgive the raspiness in my voice. Um, 
One is on the replacement housing legislation. Um, as you recall, in February this year, Senator Weiner introduced replacement housing legislation titled SB 593. That legislation passed um, the committees in the Senate, the Housing and Governance uh, Committee, as well as the Finance Committee, um, and then passed the full Senate in May at 35 to 2. Uh, it was in the Assembly and went to two different committees there, Housing Community Development and the Local Government uh, Committee. And we expect, uh, if the legislation continues to go forward, for the full assembly to vote in the next uh, three weeks. And if it does go forward on that schedule, probably in the fourth week we'll be on the governor's desk. Um, the senator has been promoting the legislation in the media recently, sent you guys some articles, um, both in the SF Chronicle and in Cron 4 uh, TV. And um, I want to just thank a few folks who've been helping on this, especially Maddie Scott of the Freedom West Homes, uh, Dr. Veronica Honeycutt of the Hunters Point Shipyard, Mayor Citizen Advisor Committee, and the team at OCII, principally Jim Morales, uh, General Counsel, and Elizabeth Columello in Housing, and Rosa Torres, John Daigle, and Mina Yu in Finance. Um, also wanted to offer up an update on the Mission Bay Block 2 project. Um, that's an affordable housing project in Mission Bay near the Giants Mission Rock development on 3rd Street and Terry Francois Boulevard. It's 140 units of supportive housing for formerly homeless. Uh, some of them may be transitional age youth, I hope. Uh, but it recently won an award from ULI, uh, the America's Award for Excellence, which recognizes projects nationally for high standards achievement and development. I want to invite uh, Kim Obsfeld from our housing division to give us an update on that. Kim? Hello again, commissioners. Again, uh, Kim Obstfeld, Senior Development, Development Specialist on the Housing Team. Um, as Thor mentioned, and thank you for that, it's my, uh, my pleasure to report that the OCII-sponsored project at Mission Bay South Block 9, known as HomeRise at Mission Bay, has been named a recipient of the Urban Land, Land Institute Award for Excellence for 2023. The award recognizes superior development efforts in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Evaluation and criteria includes design, planning, amenities, innovation, and sustainability. The project is co-sponsored by HomeRise, formerly known as Community Housing Partnership and Bridge Housing. HomeRise provides supportive services to residents in collaboration with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and the Department of Public Health. The Commission took a series of actions to authorize the Block 9 project from the request for proposals in 2017 uh, through OCII loan approval and a ground lease in 2020. Lease-up began in fall 2022 and the building was fully leased up at the beginning of this year. Overall, the project provides 140 units of permanent supportive housing for adults who've experienced homelessness. The building was thoughtfully designed by Letty Madam Stacy Architects and YA Studios to create community and engage residents. Uh, the building is located between Mission Rock Street and China Basin Street, adjacent to the Public Safety Building and across from the OCII-sponsored homeownership project at Block 9A, which is under construction now. Um, I'm happy to share a few images of the projects. The project, this is the exterior design of the building along uh, China Basin Street at the resident lobby, lobby entry, and this is from the schematic design that Commission approved in 2019. And this is the actual completed building <laughs> taken recently from the same angle. And then these are just a few images of amenity spaces, including the services suite, uh, the main hallway adjacent to the central courtyard, the community room, and the resident lounge. 
And finally, a couple of images of a typical unit. Uh, I want to thank you for your leadership and support on the Block 9 project and congratulate the entire development team on this accomplishment. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. That concludes uh, the report. Do any of my fellow commissioners have any comments? Comments, yes. Um, I like to comment. I think it's exciting. I actually <coughs> rode my bike down there and I see uh, the project done and on the other side there's also another housing development. But I just applaud everyone part of that. I think um, the Mission Bay has grown and um, I'm excited to see it to continue to grow. So it's exciting. Thank you. Through the chair, uh, Madam Chair, I think um, it's just appropriate if you move on to commission uh, matters and questions so you, the commission can have open discussion. Okay. Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? The next order of business is item nine, commissioner's questions and matters. Madam Chair. I do. Commissioners. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it's me again. Um, okay, so yes. Um, I, last week, Wednesday, I attended the affordable housing event at the Southeast Community Center in the Bayview District. It's a beautiful center uh, by PUC um, and uh, an amazing panel on housing matters, uh, housing for all. Uh, Senator Scott Weiner uh, joined us and as well as Lisa Gluckstein, who's with our city and county of SF. Uh, Corey Smith, Uzuri Peace Green was in, was part of the um, panel, uh, panelists and really gave a lot of great insight. They spoke about the San Francisco housing element, the purpose, extreme uh, shortage of housing and affordable housing, the goals to build 82,000 homes in the next eight years, funding required, the obstacles, the consequences of not meeting our goals and what needs to change. And um, one of the things that Uzuri Peace Green, who is a, um, and forgive me, she's a very strong community leader. Um, she has her own nonprofit, uh, really gave a lot of insight on how we as community members, um, we need to really uh, voice the importance of housing and fair for, and housing for all, um, and not to judge um, any individuals. Um, so it was organized, well organized by Eastern Neighborhoods Associate, um, Democratic Club. Um, it was great turnout from the community. I met a gentleman that came from, uh, over from DuBose to the Bayview on public transit. So that speaks volumes to know that um, housing is our top priority in our great city of San Francisco. So I was really happy to be part of that um, meeting. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it really takes me back to the time when we went as a full group uh, on tour down in Mission Bay. And there were different ones that spoke about housing and even um, thinking a couple of residents, but what was so significant were the churches that showed up to take the tour and organizations that were a part of it. And um, 
it's something we need to continue to repeat so that our organizations, our churches, the pastors are informed. They can see what the possibilities are and hear about um, how this is being done, the inclusiveness and what we have in this, as Vanessa said, this fine city, what we have to offer people and the hope that it gives. So I hope we continue this, um, the touring. And uh, I'm sure if you ever need a historian, Mr. Oscar James is here to share great deep history that helps us to understand our city better and why we do what we're doing. And, um, it makes me proud to be working with you all, with OCII, Pam, the team, Sonia, and all of you. And the gentleman in the back, I don't know why I cannot remember your name with the white shirt. Yes. Yes. That's Mr. George, George Bridges, the Thank contract compliance supervisor. Yes, you're just very important to this city. And Sonia, I cannot thank you enough, but I'm grateful, Madam Chair, and um, our executive director, thank you, because the reports are getting better and better, cleaner, and uh, more crisp, where we can understand clearly what we're doing and that we are trying to improve, and we are improving. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to uh, thank Director Kozlowski for uh, bringing Mission Bay uh, South Block 9 to our attention and the prestigious award that ULI has given us. I think what's so special about this, like one, ULI is just such a well-respected organization, uh, them recognizing uh, the work of uh, this uh, this department really speaks volume on a, on a national level for the quality of work that the team at OCII is, uh, is performing. So thank you so much for sharing this really incredible award. Uh, and it's, it's clear that the multi-disciplines that the agency uh, in, in encompasses, uh, whether it's design review, uh, or services or, or planning or housing, you know, all of that is captured, uh, captured here. Uh, so congratulations uh, to, the, to the team on a really prestigious uh, award and very well uh, deserved recognition on your hard work. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a couple questions. I know um, as we go through um, what will be the next round of approvals before the legislation hits Governor Newsom's state um, desk. Um, I've gotten some questions from community already around the 5,800 of replacement housing. I know that as a commission, we are, or as OCII is going to potentially use those units all over throughout the city. Um, and some people were concerned that COP holders or people who were displaced would be um, not um, the majority of those housed in those units. So was wondering if there was any um, thoughts yet from, you know, um, OCII on how we could actually deliver those units to the persons who were actually displaced versus it kind of going through the normal MOHCD process where we're seeing less than 3% of COP holders actually placed. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, it's a little premature right now for me to make statements on the record about how we would build that housing. Um, however, we do have about two and a half acres in Mission Bay 
um, that is the last developable affordable parcels in Mission Bay. Um, that will be our primary focus for use of the replacement housing if it passes. Uh, there are potentially other projects in the city, uh, perhaps in Western Addition or other areas uh, where some of this displacement occurred uh, most predominantly. Um, we have begun in the background a lot of the policy work to organize an approach to this. And um, we have some an outline of that. I'd love to share it with the commission and get the feedback from the commission. Of course, the ticket of preference holders is our number one priority when it comes to population uh, priorities. Um, we do a very, I think, a robust job and want to continually improve outreach to COP holders. And I think uh, there's some evidence of that in our outreach through uh, the links and new Community Leadership Foundation uh, to get other folks, especially um, who we are not in touch with, to be uh, knowledgeable and aware of these different um, housing uh, opportunities. Um, so we commit that to you um, to give you an update and that it is a high priority for us. Thank you. Um, and similar to Commissioner Drew, I just wanted to thank the OCII staff for all of your hard work. Um, we recognize all of your hard work ever since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, our um, staff being the first staff to actually having remote meetings, um, all of the hard work you guys did in terms of juggling your families and making sure you were prepared and um, we basically didn't miss a beat and you know continuing development in our project areas and so I just also want to tip my hat off to all of you and thank you for all of your hard work. If there's no other comments from my fellow commissioners, um, Madam Secretary, can you call the next item please? The next order of business is item 10, closed session. There are no closed session items. The next order of business is item 11, adjournment. Madam Chair. Fellow commissioners, um, can I get a motion and a second to adjourn the meeting? Madam Chair, I move that the meeting be adjourned. I'll second that motion. And our meeting is adjourned at 2.09 p.m. <laughs>